Welcome to the Podcast at the Hill. You are about to hear a message from Pastor Daniel Blaylock entitled, Dismantling Depression, from our series, Mixed Emotions. If you have your Bible, I'm in 1 Kings, the 19th chapter. 1 Kings, the 19th chapter today. 1 Kings 19. Many years ago, a Midwestern lawyer went through such a great trial of depression and sadness His friends grew very afraid about his life. In fact, they thought it would be a good idea if they hid knives and razors from him and someone attended him even while he was shaving to make sure he did himself no harm. That man, fortunately, struggled on through his period. But in the midst of it, he wrote a letter to a dear friend and he penned these words. He said, I am now the most miserable man living. If what I feel were equally distributed to the whole human family, there would not be one cheerful face on earth. Whether I shall ever better, I cannot tell. I awfully forebode that I shall not. To remain as I am is impossible. I must die or be better, it appears to me. These are the words that the lawyer Abraham Lincoln wrote to one of his best friends. Can I tell you that down through the years many very famous people in our culture have struggled with this issue of depression or discouragement or deep sadness of heart. Many brilliant thinkers and artists in history fought this enemy. Abraham Lincoln, as I mentioned, Theodore Roosevelt, Robert Schumann, artists like Ludwig von Beethoven, the great composer, the writer Edgar Allan Poe, If you've ever read anything he wrote, that doesn't surprise you, right? Yeah, very dark stuff. Mark Twain, Vincent Van Gogh, all of these men struggled with issues of depression. Many famous and well-loved Christians battled depression as well. You may not know that men like uh, C.S. Lewis, the great apologist and Christian thinker and professor, he struggled with a season of great depression. The hymn writer, William Cooper, who wrote some of the best-loved hymns uh, of a few years back, he struggled greatly with the issue of depression. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, that great preacher who shook England from the pulpit with the gospel of Jesus Christ, struggled with bouts of depression that were so bad, he was debilitated and couldn't leave the bed, much less get out of the house. And he struggled with with that season of great darkness and depression. In fact, he wrote to one of his friends in a letter, There are dungeons beneath the castles of despair. Wow. It's bad enough to be in the castle of despair, amen? How would you like to be in the dungeon underneath the castle of despair? That's pretty good, isn't it? But some of us would look at me today and say, Pastor, I know exactly what that feels like. And I understand all too well what he means by that statement because you've spent some time in that dungeon yourself. In the Bible we find men and women who wrestle with depression and grief and sorrow and, and discouragement. We find men like Job who his, his state got so low he just wondered if he wouldn't be better to die. How much worse could things get? He cried out in his grief to the Lord. We find men like Jonah. Do you remember Jonah? Jonah sat under his little gourd vine and pouted because God did not destroy the Ninevites and he was absolutely depressed in that season of his life. 
And he lamented of even living another day in his set of circumstances. The Apostle Paul seems to have battled with depression. You say, where do you get that? 2 Corinthians, the first chapter. Go back and read it. He talks about how perplexed and discouraged and downcast he was from all the trials that he and his team of missionaries had endured. The Lord Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweat great drops of blood and cried out for the painful cup that was in front of him to pass from him without him having to drink it and endure it. That's the reality. God's people, God's children often walk through difficult seasons of depression. King David talks about a very similar time. Today as we continue our series called Mixed Emotions, we're going to talk about dismantling depression. And we're going to look at the case study of perhaps the most famous guy in the Bible who was depressed and talks about how he entered it and how he exited that season of life. And his name is Elijah. Say Elijah. If you have your Bible, 1 Kings chapter 19 is our text today. He's the most classic case study of depression in the entire Bible. Some of you are already depressed just hearing about all this, aren't you? Yes, I can tell. I'm sorry. I don't mean to be a Danny Downer today to you, amen, but we're going to talk about this. Why? It's real and God's people deal with it and it's something we ought to unpack from the Word of God. 1 Kings 19, we're going to read the first nine verses if you have it before you. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Stop right there. What had he done? Well, what he had done is he had challenged the prophets of Baal and Asherah to a match to determine who would be God. And the trial was this. We will both build an altar and put wood under the altar and a sacrifice on top of the altar and put no fire to the altar and we will each cry out to our God and the God that answers by fire, let him be the God of Israel. And on that day, they danced around the for Baal and cried out for Baal and cut themselves with stones and nothing happened. And it went on till noonday and Elijah said maybe he's on a vacation. Maybe he's in the restroom. Maybe you should shout louder. Maybe he can't hear you. And he made fun of them and mocked them. And Baal never answered. But Elijah goes and prepares the broken down altar of the Lord, puts the sacrifice on top, the wood under the bottom, and offers a short 73-word prayer and cries out to the Lord. And then the Bible simply says, Then the fire of the Lord fell. Then the fire of the Lord fell. And the Lord not only took the sacrifice and the wood, but he had soaked the sacrifice with seven barrels of water to prove that this was no magic trick. There was nothing that he'd done to prep this. No, this was going to be God getting his glory. And so not only did it burn up the wood and the sacrifice, but it sucked up and all the water and licked up the water out of the trench around it. It scorched the ground around it. The fire was so hot. And that day Israel turned their heart back to the Lord and he pursued and they took the prophets of Baal and Asherah and executed them down by the brook. That's what Elijah had done. Elijah goes back up the mountain because it hadn't rained for three and a half years. And he said, at my word, there'll be no rain uh, until Israel turns back to the Lord. And sure enough, it had not rained for three and a half years. There's this great drought in the land. 
And the Bible says Elijah goes back and he puts his face between his knees and prays that the Lord would let it rain. And six times there's no answer, but on the seventh there's a cloud the size of a man's hand, the servant boy tells Elijah. And he says, that's it, that's the sign we're waiting on. And he goes and tells Ahab, you better get out of here. It's, you're about, it's about to rain so deep, the mud's going to be so thick, you won't be able to go in that chariot and make it home in time. And he outruns him, the Bible says, in his chariot. Elijah outruns the chariot of Ahab from Jezreel. He had had a wonderful day. Elijah was on top of the world. Say on top of the world. Everything was going as wonderfully as he could ever have imagined. And then... Verse 2 hit. Look at verse 2. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. In other words, he left the country. He went below the southern border there to get away from her. The Bible says in verse 4, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life. I am no better than my father's. For as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank. And he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. Then he went into the cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? May God bless the reading of his word and his people said, Amen. In recent days, our families, many of our families in this church have come under a heavy assault. You face great trial and hard difficulties. And I've watched you and prayed with you and tried to encourage you as you've walked through them. The Bible warns us that in the last days, one of the strategies of the evil one will be to wear out the saints. Amen. Anybody feel like you've just been worn out lately? <laughs> trial and problems and issues and just one thing after the next after the next and you feel like you've been worn out I want to tell you that is a strategy of the evil one and like Elijah it's easy to find ourselves moving from the sunny mountaintops of happiness to the dark valleys of despair and sometimes turning on a dime from one to the other that's what happened to Elijah some depression is chronic say chronic what do you mean, Pastor? By chronic, I mean this. It isn't really tied to anything specific that you're going through. It just seems to come and sit down on top of you. And that happens to us sometimes. And there are times we can't trace it to anything. We can't point to anything that went wrong. We just know that this cloud has settled in over us. We don't know what brought it on, but we just wish it would blow over, and yet it doesn't seem to. It seems to sit down and linger in our lives. Depression. Sometimes... You can't put your finger on any reason for your depression. Or if you've been that way for an extended period of time, longer than two or three months, I would say, then you need to seek help. 
You need to go find a good, skilled Christian counselor to help you deconstruct it and figure out what is going on with me. There are times they may even recommend that you go see a doctor and figure out if something physically is wrong with you. The amazing thing about us humans is this. Our spirits and our bodies are so connected together that what happens in one affects the other one. Amen? When you have a great spiritual experience, it brings energy into your body. Amen? But how many of you know you can be sick so long in your body that it gets in your spirit and it affects your walk with God? Amen? It happens. It happens to us. Sometimes you may need to go seek out some further help. But can I encourage you today, all Christians face seasons of depression. All Christians face seasons that are dark, where they're discouraged, and they may feel overwhelmed by the circumstances of life. For many of us, like Elijah in 1 Kings 19, the cause of our depression is identifiable, and the cure is often within our grasp. Let me explain. Pastor, what do you mean? Listen, if you can identify the cause of your depression, then there are some things you can do about it. I had a friend recently that came to me and said, I don't know, maybe I need to go to the doctor. Maybe I need to get some medicine for this. And my answer was, can you identify what brought it on? And they said, yes, I can. I said, well, then that's probably not the next step for you. If you can identify the cause, it isn't a medical cause. If circumstances of life brought it on, there are times when the doctor may give you something to take the edge off and help you get through the rough spot. But can I tell you something? If the root isn't medical, then medicine won't ultimately fix it. I didn't tell anybody to go get off their medicine. Did you hear me? I didn't say that. Sometimes it can help us get over the hump. But I want to tell you, if the problem is something going on in your circumstances, you're going to have to address what's going on in your circumstances. Do you hear me? Amen. Medicating it won't fix it. <clears throat> the problem of our culture today is simply this. We try to medicate everything and we don't address much of anything anymore. We do that. We medicate it with drugs. We medicate it with alcohol. We medicate it with pleasure. We medicate it with entertainment. We medicate it with sexual immorality. We medicate it with any number of things. Going shopping, retail therapy, buy a bunch of stuff. Makes you feel good for a while till the credit card bill comes in, right? Yeah. And it amazes me. Some Christians will look down their nose at a guy who struggles with drugs and they got three credit cards maxed out. You need to come join them in the meeting next week. Because you're as hooked as they are. It's just a different drug. Oh, it's quiet in the hole in this church. Yes. We have to deal with the roots of these issues. And I want to tell you, Elijah had some very serious issues that he needed to unpack and God to help him deal with. And I want to move quickly so that we can get to them today. How did he end up in this downward spiral of emotion that caused him to be overwhelmed by life? Well, number one, he got depleted. Say depleted. Elijah became depleted. Verse 46 says, Then the hand of the Lord came on Elijah, and he girded up his loins, and he ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. God laid his hand on him and gave him the strength to run all the way to Jezreel. But I want to tell you, at the end of this day, when it was done, when he had beat the prophets of Baal and prayed down rain and outran Ahab's chariot, he was exhausted. Mentally, physically, emotionally, he was just done. Have you ever come at the end of the day and said, I am just spent? I mean, I am wiped out. I left it all on the field today. I don't have anything left. And what happened to him was he became depleted. 
I want to tell you that happens to us sometimes. He'd faced down great trouble and overcome. It had been the most exciting, exhilarating day of his, of his life. It had also been the most exhausting day of his life. We're in trouble when we're giving out, but we're not taking anything in spiritually and emotionally. When we're giving out, but we're not taking in. When we're giving but not receiving, we're in trouble. Or we're well on our way to being in trouble. You can't keep making emotional deposits without emotional withdrawals without taking in some emotional deposits. You can't. You and I are not the source. You and I are not an endless well of supply. Only God is that. You and I must stay connected to the source. We must make frequent trips back to the well of God's grace and draw up God's power and be replenished. And that's something that isn't automatic. It's something we have to take the time and energy to do. How do you do that? By prayer, by worship, by reading God's word, by getting around God's people. But we must deliberately, intentionally do those things or we will dry up spiritually and start running on empty emotionally. Number two, he got disillusioned. Say disillusioned. Don't miss this point. I believe this is probably one of the truest things for most of us that I'll mention today. The, the reason this letter that he got in the mail from, uh, from Jezebel hit him so hard, I think, is simply this. Elijah really believed the war was over when he came down off of Mount Carmel. He thought, we have won. This is it. Victory is ours. This is over. And the next morning when he got that letter in the mail from Jezebel, he realized he'd won a battle, but the war was still raging. He'd won a battle and seen a great victory, but it wasn't over yet. And he realized in that moment he didn't have any more strength to face the next leg of the journey. He didn't have any more might to rise up and keep fighting the battle. He left it all on the field yesterday and only to wake up and realize that that wasn't the final buzzer. It was just the halftime buzzer. And you've got to get up and go out and do it again when Elijah realized that it wasn't the end of the game. It was just halftime of the game. He lost it. He said, I'm done. I have nothing else to give. I am exhausted. And he got disillusioned. Verse 2, Jezebel sends him this message. And he really thought it was over. When it became clear that it wasn't, it threw him into a tailspin. Some of us are that way. Some of us, the reason we're struggling today is because we didn't face one trial. You didn't have one bad thing happen. You had a series of things happen. And as soon as you got out of one, the next one came. And as soon as that one landed, the other wave was breaking over your head. Have you been there? Shakespeare said in Hamlet, when troubles come, they come not as single spies, but in battalions. My grandma said it this way, when it rains, it... Yes. We've often felt that way, don't, don't we? We're just overwhelmed. He got disillusioned. There's nothing more disheartening than thinking it's over only to realize that was round one and you've got 11 more to go. He got discouraged, number three. Say discouraged. Verse three says, when he saw that, he rose and ran for his life. He got discouraged. I can't believe this is happening to me. And he fled. God's man of faith and power who called fire down from heaven 24 hours ago is now on the run fleeing for his life. Amazing. How does that happen? Well, he got depleted and he got discouraged and then he got disillusioned. Uh, he, 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 this falls and happens to him. He gets discouraged next. Say discouraged. He, here he is. No inner resources left for facing the battle. And all his courage departs and he's running for his life. The final one is depressed. Say depressed. 
the final step down here is depressed. I guess there's one more step, and that'd be death, right? <laughs> the next one down. Thankfully, the Lord stops his journey right here in his grace and mercy and intervenes for him. Elijah is depressed. He prayed, verse 4, that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. He's ready to give up. He's ready to let someone else finish the work that God has called him to do. He's ready to resign his church and let somebody else be the pastor. He's ready to take his prophet's mantle off and lay it on someone else's shoulders and say, Here, you can have the job and you can have the brook that goes with it, right? You can have all of this. I'm not interested anymore. That's how he got there. Now, how do you get out? Because that's what all of us want to know, amen? How do you get out? Well, thankfully, the story doesn't end where I left off. God walks Elijah out of the valley. He gets him out of the dark place, and I'm thankful for that. Number one, notice what Elijah did, and I think he did it right. Some people would take issue with Elijah. I don't have any stones to throw at this man. And if you've ever walked through depression, you understand a little bit of what he was feeling. He just knew that he had to put some distance between him and his problems. So he ran for his life. The first thing he did was removal. Say removal. He removed himself from the situation. He removed himself from the problem. He arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. And then he went a day's journey even further into the wilderness, verse 4 says. He left his servant at the southern tip of the country. And then he went even further out into the woods so no one could find him. Sometimes the best thing to do is put some distance between you and the stressful situation. To gain perspective. To take the phone off the hook and let them talk to the answering machine. To let the call go to voicemail. To put the phone on airplane mode or turn it off. To put the bills in the stack on the coffee table and go sit on the porch and drink a cup of coffee. Or better yet, throw the bill in the garbage. They'll send you another one in a week. I mean, you don't need three copies of it, right? If you can't pay it, just throw it away. They'll send you another one. Amen. <laughs> Sometimes you just need to get up and come to church. Sometimes you need to get up and go to revival. All three services this week. Amen. Sometimes you say, well, my, my, my partner won't go with me. Well, leave your par backslid partner at home, amen? If they want to stay home and not come, leave them at home. But you get up and come to the Lord's house. Why? Because you've determined to make it. You've set your mind on digging out, climbing out of the pit that you're in. So come, make a decision. He removed himself from the situation. Even Jesus regularly withdrew from the crowd to spend time in the presence of God in prayer, and in the company of his closest friends. It amazes me how many people think that they ought to be available 24-7 to everyone around them. Now, you know, when I grew up, I was sort of used to that. People often thought the pastor ought to be available 24-7. You know, just whenever you need him, drop everything and come and go. And that was sort of expected for the pastor. I want to tell you, congratulations and welcome to the ministry. Because most of you, if you own one of these, you now know how it feels to be a pastor, don't you? Isn't it the truth? Because everyone thinks because you have one of these, you should always be immediately accessible. And some of you know what it's like, don't you? You've seen it happen in your life ever since you got one. You're constantly being, you're, you're buzzing or vibrating or something's beeping, amen? Be honest. Some of you put this thing down at night and you still have these phantom vibrations and you just, your phone's not even there, but you're still buzzing, right? You're just like, man, I felt something there. Yeah. Yes. 
24-7 accessible. Can I tell you, friend, it doesn't matter what your job is. If you're a pastor or a doctor or an undertaker, nobody can be 24-7 accessible. No one can be on all the time. We aren't designed to run that way. God built us with a rhythm of working and resting. God built us with a rhythm of working and then taking a Sabbath one day a week. God designed us to run that way. And we will break ourselves if we violate God's order in that way. So what happens? Well, Elijah removed himself from the problem. He took some time away. It amazes me how many of us think that we should be 24-7 available. Even Jesus in his earthly life was not available 24-7. Did you hear me? Even Jesus withdrew and spent time alone with God and in the privacy of his closest friends. Amen. So we have to remove ourselves. Say remove. Number two, he rested. He rested physically. Sometimes the issue with our depression is simply this. And I want to tell you, some of you will notice this. Some of you will notice that when you really struggle is when you're tired. Can I tell you, everything is bigger when you're tired. Everything's bigger when you're tired. It's always better to not make major hasty decisions when you're worn out and exhausted. You know, today I heard a report this week on the news where they're saying there is scientific proof that you make better decisions when you are fully rested. Well, I always knew that. My daddy told me when I was 12 years old, sleep on it. If you've got to make a major decision, don't make it tonight. Get a good night's rest, and first thing in the morning, get up and make your decision. Sleep on it. Sometimes we need rest. Verse 5, the Bible says, Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Remember what I said a few minutes ago. Our physical bodies and our spirits are connected. We are humans. I hear people say, well, you're a spirit who has a soul and lives in a body. I don't believe it's that simple. My body is not just my earth suit, amen? My body is part of me. I've always had a body. I came here in a body. I'll leave here from a body, and when Jesus comes back and resurrects me, I'll be in a body forever. We are incarnate beings. We are beings whose spirits are intended to live in flesh and blood bodies. That's how God made us. Your body is a permanent part of you. Well, doesn't it stand to reason that we ought to take care of it then? Amen. We have to listen to our physical bodies. Our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. We'll maintain the temple. Amen. Jesus said, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke on you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly and hard, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's what Jesus said. The word for rest here is the word Sabbath. It doesn't mean retire. It means take a break so that you can go back and work again. It's not a permanent ending to our labor. It is a regularly scheduled break so we can catch our breath and renew our strength. We must regularly take a break and rest physically and spiritually at the feet of Jesus. Elijah didn't just need spiritual refreshing, he needed physical rest. When we are fatigued physically, it affects us mentally and emotionally. Amen. Some of you need a revival. Some of you need a vacation. <laughs> Amen. I'm telling you. Some of you need to pray through. Some of you need to take a nap. Do you hear me? When your physical body gets tired and worn out and depleted, you will not rise above that until you replenish. Listen, losing sleep, we may think that we can burn the candle at both ends, but we can't. 
The old Chinese proverb says, He who burns a candle at both ends gives much light, but not for very long. Some of y'all will catch that on the way home. You will burn out if you keep doing that, burning it from both ends. You're not designed to do that. You will never be able to repay those debts if you don't slow down. Whenever you lay off sleeping and you stay up half the night working on a project, listen, that's like swiping a credit card. Your body is going to make you collect on that debt of eventually. That, that's right. Oh, well, I'm not going to slow down. Well, then your body will slow down for you. Amen. Emily Dickinson wrote this poem years ago and it said, Because I could not stop for death, he kindly stopped for me. <laughs> yeah. Can I tell you, fatigue and tiredness are the same way. If we don't slow down, our bodies have a way of forcing us into a break. Amen. And instead of going to Gulf Shores in a condo, I'll visit you at the Mobile Infirmary. But you will take a break. Because our body will collect on the debt that we owe it. He needed to rest. Say rest. Verse 6. He looked and by his head was a cake baked on the coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. What did Elijah need? Well, he needed spiritual refreshment, but he needed physical replenishment as well. And before the Lord did anything about his heart, he took care of his body. Some of us would do well if we're fighting depression today to check on our physical bodies and say, am I exhausted? Am I tired? Am I worn out? Do I need rest? Do I need a break? Am I, am I eating well? Notice the angel fed him. Not what he'd been eating either. Fed him good angel food. I wish I could find food that'd make you run for 40 days. Amen? I wish I had the patent on that is what I wish, right? The Lord took care of him physically, his physical needs, and then he moved on and addressed something deeper. The reason many of us struggle so often with depression and discouragement is we don't take care of ourselves. Adequate sleep, a healthy diet, regular exercise, time to walk in the woods, time to sit on a deer stand, time to sit on a fishing boat, time to crochet a blanket or read a book, downtime, Sabbath time, time when we're unavailable to all the regular demands of the daily grind, time when the one thing that we're required to do is precisely nothing and we do it well. Sometimes you don't need a revival. Sometimes you need a vacation or at least a day alone. But once you've dealt with things physically, I want to tell you the third thing that we often need is this. We need renewal spiritually. Say renewal. The Lord took care of his physical needs and then the Lord addressed his spiritual issue. Elijah needed to be replenished spiritually as well. And the Bible says, verse 8, So he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food, 40 days and 40 nights, as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. Many scholars believe Horeb is another word for Mount Sinai. The mountain where God had originally met with Moses, where God met with Israel and gave them his commandments. The mountain of God. So where did Elijah go? He went back to the place where he knew God had a habit of speaking. He parked himself in the place where he knew God would meet him and show up and talk to him. I want to tell you, if you're going through a season of discouragement and depression, you would do well to take a hike to Horeb. You would do well yourself in the word of God and hear him speak. You'd do well to show up at church and make the trip to be in God's house so that the Holy Spirit can minister to you and give you a word that will sustain you and renew your heart. 
Amen. The Bible says, verse 9, he went into the cave and spent the night. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Isn't that a great question? You know, when God asks a question, it isn't because he needs to know the answer. It's because we need to talk through the answer. God knew why Elijah was there, but Elijah needed to talk about it. Listen. One of the great things about prayer is not only does God hear us and answer us, but God listens to us while we're talking. And even the act of praying is therapeutic for us. To come before God, to unpack our hearts, to let the Lord know what we're thinking and feeling is a great way to process our pain and our difficult emotions. He said in verse 10, Lord, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altar, killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Wow. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore the mountain into pieces and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And so it was when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Wow. An encounter. What a, what a great renewal he had. Elijah needed an opportunity to unpack the train of his thoughts, to lay them out before the Lord, to speak it and to process it, to let someone hear his heart and what he was dealing with. Feelings follow thoughts like a caboose follows a locomotive engine. If the locomotive goes into the valley, the caboose is not far behind. And if the locomotive of our thoughts go down into darkness and difficulty, then the, the, the caboose of our emotions isn't far to follow. Feelings make bad leaders, but they're good followers. And they will follow what we think about and what we set our minds and our, and our hearts on. They will. They'll follow us. Amen. What happened with him? Well, he needed to hear from the Lord. He arrived at the wrong conclusions because he was thinking the wrong things. And the Lord had to bail him out. Ultimately, most of our depression gets traced back to some distorted view of life. In Elijah's case, he had a distorted view about himself and God. And he needed to know that God was there and that others were there too who had not bowed the knee to Baal. Well, what did Elijah get wrong? Well, number one, he failed to estimate the reach of suffering. He failed to estimate the reach of suffering. While everyone else suffered through the drought, he'd been taken care of by the ravens at the brook Kareth. And when the brook dried up, God sent him over to a widow's house and God miraculously provided for him with a meal barrel that didn't run dry and a cruise of oil that never let up. And so while he had experienced it, he was pretty well set during the time that others were suffering even more greatly. Hear me, after the great victory at Mount Carmel, Elijah prayed for rain and God sent the rain at the end of a three and a half year drought. Elijah had begun to feel invincible. Elijah began to feel, man, I am God's man of faith and power. And I am exempt from the sufferings and the trials that all these other people are going through. God's not going to let me go through all this bad time that everyone else is experiencing. I'm above all that. That's how he felt. That's what he thought. And he thought wrong. I've met Christians like that. They say, oh, I'm too blessed to be stressed and too anointed to be disappointed. Well, I'm stressed and blessed. Amen. And I'm anointed, but I've still been disappointed. Amen? 
Those things don't cancel one another out. I'm blessed in the middle of my stress. Amen? I'm anointed even though I've been disappointed. Amen? It just doesn't work that way all the time. When someone complains about going through a tough spot, they say, Christians have the joy of the Lord for their strength. Are you sure you're saved? Well, you know what? Just come back and check on them in about six months, and it'll be their turn in the valley, and you can give them their advice and see how they like it. Amen. Life just doesn't work that way. Sometimes we underestimate the reach of suffering. We're not exempt from this. He says in verse 4, I am no better than my fathers. Well, my Lord, whatever gave you the idea that you were? Who told you you were better than your fathers? Who guarantees you you wouldn't end up giving your life for the cause of God just like they gave their life for the cause? You weren't guaranteed that. You see, part of Elijah's problem was that. He really thought he was better. He really thought he was exempt. He wasn't. And none of us are. In the world you will have tribulation, Jesus said. We will face difficulty and problems. Jesus promised us that. Number two, he overestimated his own importance. Look at him in verse 10. I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. The children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with a sword. And here it is. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Lord, I'm the only one serving you. Lord, I'm the only one faithful to you, and now they're coming for me. He overestimated his own importance. I want to tell you, friend, it's easy for us to do that. I promise you, it is always a myth, and it is always a lie. Go home this afternoon and stick your finger in a glass of water. Take your finger out of the glass of water and look at the hole that's left. That's the hole that'll be left six months after I'm gone. Do you hear me? It is foolishness for us to overestimate our own importance. But Elijah had done that. He set himself up for this moment because he thought too highly of himself. The Bible urges us, do not think more highly of ourselves than we ought. He fell into the trap of self-importance. Say self-importance. He was the only one left. Jezebel had slain the other prophets. How could Jezebel threaten him? Surely God couldn't make it without Elijah. When I become overly impressed with my own importance, I remember a little thing that I read recently. If all the preachers and all the garbage collectors quit at once, which one do you think people would miss first? Yeah. Paul warns us of this. God's church made it fine before I came along and his work will go forward with or without me. For thine is the kingdom and thine is the glory and thine is the power forever and ever. We're nobody's Messiah. We're nobody's Savior. When we think we are essential, we're pointing them to us instead of to God. We're blocking their view of God and we're getting a big head. Amen. That's why we screen our calls after dark. We're nobody's Savior. Number three, he he underestimated his fellow believers. I'm the only one. And God answers him back and says, no, you're not. You're not the only one, Elijah. Elijah may have been the only prophet left, but he wasn't the only faithful believer in in Yahweh left. Verse 18, God tells him, I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. Elijah, you're not the only one. You're one in 7,000 in one. Amen. Wow. While everyone else suffered, he thought he'd be exempt, but he wasn't. Listen, you're not alone. You're not the only one living for God. And you're not the only one suffering hardship. In the time of discouragement, we do well to remember the story of Reverend Luke Cock. 
Luke was an 18th century minister. He was very depressed in his spiritual life. He was told by the devil that there was never another preacher in such a state of misery as he was. To cheer himself up, he went and visited another friend of his who was a pastor. And he asked his friend, Brother Richardson, how he was doing. Reverend Richardson said, as to the body, very well. As to the purse, very comfortable. But as to the things that mean the most, I was never worse. Cock threw up his hat and shouted, the devil is a liar and I was a fool to believe him and I've never felt better. Amen. Amen. Maybe misery loves company. Maybe we just need to be reminded whether not that we're not the only ones going through what we face today. Can I tell you, sometimes there's great comfort in another believer putting their arm alongside us and saying, you are not alone. I've been through this or I'm walking through it alongside you and you're going to make it. The reason Elijah was in such bad shape, he began believing stuff he had no business believing. If I'm discouraged or depressed, I can almost guarantee it's because I've begun believing some lie from the devil about some area of my life. If you love God, this wouldn't be happening. Oh, you can't stop and rest. If you take time out to pray and get God's perspective, everything will fall apart. You're the only one going through this. No one else understands what you're going through or how tough it is. You can't be honest with anybody. No, we need to remove ourselves long enough to get some rest, gain fresh perspective, and hear a fresh word from God. Elijah was used to big displays of God's power, fire falling from heaven, rain coming to end a drought. He goes to Mount Horeb, and he expected that that's what he needed. But the Bible says he went out, and there was an earthquake, and there was stones being ripped apart by, by, by on the mountainside, and there was a fire, and God wasn't in any of that. Sometimes we don't need what we think we need. You've never known how difficult it is until you have sat through a worship service where everyone else seemed to feel the presence of God and shout and worship and the Spirit of the Lord move on them and you sit right beside them and feel absolutely nothing. You ever been there? Yeah. That's a hard place, isn't it? Sometimes we don't need the rocks to rend. Sometimes we don't need the earth to shake. Sometimes we don't need the fire to fall. Sometimes what we need more than anything is just the gentle, still whisper of the Holy Spirit to speak a fresh word from God into our heart. Sometimes all we need is a word. For Elijah, it was a question. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? Elijah, I see you. Elijah, I know where you are. Elijah, I've watched you. Elijah, I've sustained you and brought you this far. What are you doing here? Why have you hit the wall? Why are you so depressed? What's wrong with you, Elijah? Talk to me. The Bible says he unfolded his heart. Some Christians get so hooked on big encounters, they never learn to hear the still, small voice or live by what God says in his word. Powerful encounters are great when God sends them, but we're not called to seek the experiences. We're called to seek God. And we seek God in his word and in prayer. You don't have to fall on the floor and shake. You can pour your heart out to God in honest prayer. Open your Bible and let God speak to you. Sooner or later, every Christian has to learn how to abide in Jesus and draw from Jesus what they need to make it for their daily life. God spoke in a still small voice to Elijah, the truth that displaced the lies, the lies he'd begun to believe. What did he tell him? Well, in verse 16 and 17, I'm hurrying. He said, as the Lord lives, behold, for whom I stand, excuse me, Chapter 19, verse 15. 
What did the Lord say? The Lord said to him, go return by the way of the wilderness to Damascus. And when you come, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu to be the son of Nimshi. He will be anointed king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abelmohath, he shall, you, he shall you anoint to be the prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass, he that escapes the sword of Haziel, Jehu will slay. And he that escapes the sword of Jehu, Elijah shall slay. Wow. What did God do? God sent him back to work. He gave him a word. He reminded him, my work will continue after you're gone. Go and lay your hands on some people who will keep doing my work after you're not on the scene anymore. Elijah, you're not the only prophet that I have. There's a young man named Elisha who will work twice as many miracles as you've worked. He'll have twice the anointing that you've had. These three men that he named would finish the work that Elijah had begun in his ministry. His work would continue. Number two, the battle's not over, but the victory is sure, Elijah. There's more work to be done, but Jezebel will not have the last word. You started it, but somebody else will finish it. But make no mistake, Elijah, it will be finished. And I will win this victory in Israel. And my name will be vindicated. And my people will have the last word. It's okay. The battle's not over, but the victory is ours. Number three, you're not alone. Verse 18. You're not the only one. There are 7,000 who've not bowed the knee to Baal. Wow. Other people have faced the same trial that you're facing and that I'm facing, and they've remained true to God. We need to be renewed by a word from the Lord. Finally, this morning, you need to re-engage the work of God. He re-engaged. Re-engagement. He returned to the work God called him to do. Now, this is hard. This is the hardest step of all. In verse 10, when God looks at Elijah and says, Why are you here? Elijah vents and he goes into his speech. Lord, I'm the only one. They're trying to kill me. Here's what happened. And the Lord listens to him. And the Lord replenishes him and gives him a word and an encounter with God. But then a few verses later, Elijah says it again. In verse 13, the Lord gave him time to rest. He got a fresh word from God. And he started up again. And the Lord said, what are you doing here? And Elijah starts talking about it all again. And God interrupts him. God doesn't listen. He just cuts him off and says, All right, Elijah, we've whined about it enough. Now it's time to get up and get back to work. What? Is that what you say to a depressed person? Well, that's what God says to a depressed person. Wow. Why? Listen, sometimes it does us no good just to sit and stew in it. Sometimes the best thing we can do is get up and get moving back doing what God called us to do. Amen. What did he tell him to do? Well, he tells him, he says, number one, enlist an assistant. Go find Elisha and anoint him. Go find these two other kings and anoint them. Get you some help. One of his job assignments was to go find him a friend named Elisha. Say a friend. Talking is perhaps the most effective way to get rid of harmful emotions. When we talk about it, it's like pulling the plug out of a bathtub. The water begins to drain out of the bottom. Everybody needs someone in whom they can confide without fear of being ridiculed or condemned. In 1835, a man, a doctor in Florence, Italy, he was so depressed, he was suicidal. He thought of ending his own life. He couldn't eat, he couldn't sleep, and he avoided time with anyone. The doctor examined him and found that there was physically nothing wrong with him. And he had an idea. He said, here's what I want you to do. Tonight, I want you to go and buy a ticket to the show. 
He said, you need to go. There's a circus in town, and there's a star performer. He is a clown, and his name is Grimaldi. Grimaldi is the best. I went to see him last week. Everyone in the room was just laughing hysterically. You need to go see Grimaldi. Grimaldi will cheer you up. You need a night in the show. Go down, and Grimaldi will help cheer you up. The man looked at him and shook his head and said, no, Grimaldi can't help me. I am Grimaldi. Many of us remember the absolute shock when we turned on the television to find that a man like Robin Williams, who made all of us laugh, had ended his own life because of his severe depression. Can I tell you, be careful, friends, because sometimes the people around you who are smiling on the outside very broken and hurting on the inside. And their smile and their laughter and their deflecting with humor may hide a broken, suffering soul underneath. We need to watch out for one another. I want to tell you, you can't always be Grimaldi. Sometimes you have to go find you a Grimaldi. You have to find you a friend. The head of the medical school at the University of Oregon said years ago that probably more good is done by two friends at 10 o'clock over a cup of coffee than those who go to see their psychiatrist all day long. Wow. Talking to a friend can help bring life back into perspective. It can help us solve our problems. If we had more friends, we'd probably need fewer therapists. <laughs> we need to find a non-judgmental listener and pour our soul out to them and learn how to care for one another in the body of Christ. He said, enlist you an assistant. And number two, engage your assignment. Elijah, it's time to go back to the work of being a prophet. With this, I'm done. God sent Elijah back to work. Some people have a bad experience and they want to sit out forever. Some people have one negative encounter and they take their football and go home and they won't re-engage. I want to tell you, if you live like that, you'll be a miserable person. But it won't be the fault of the person who hurt you. It'll be your fault for isolating yourself and living like that. It's not your fault what they did, but it is your fault if you started taking mail at that address. You hear me? You and I have to get up and do something about that. Jesus offers us rest, but not retirement. We have to be careful not to cave into self-pity. If we don't master these emotions, they will master us. A college professor asked a student why he missed class, and he said, well, I just didn't feel like coming. And the professor said, son, has it ever dawned on you that most of the work in the world is done by people that don't feel like doing it? <laughs> we can't cave into self-pity. We have to get up and keep moving. Lord, help us. We need an Elisha to come alongside us, to carry us through, to help us to re-engage with what God wants us to do and be about. Hear me today. Stand with me all over the Lord's house. We've got to learn the balance of working with God and not just working for God. Working for God is draining. We can only accomplish so much in our own human energy. But working with God is rewarding and it's replenishing. I do what I'm responsible to do, and I let God handle the things that I can't control. Dr. Carl Menninger, the great psychiatrist, was once asked by a Tucson, Arizona newspaper reporter, suppose you think you're heading into a nervous breakdown, what should you do? Here's what he said, don't miss this. Most of us would say that I'd expect you to go see a psychiatrist. He said, that's not my advice. Here was his reply. Go straight to the front door, turn the knob, cross the tracks, and find somebody who needs you. 
go find somebody who needs you. I want to tell you for many of us, the key out of our depression is to get up and re-engage in what God has called us to do and be about. Because sitting around and moping with no purpose at all is not going to help us. Get up and go do something for somebody else. Get up and go do something for somebody else. I'll never forget a friend of mine who'd been praying for months to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. and She just couldn't pray through. One night, a friend of ours was in the altar praying for healing. And Charlene reached over and laid her hands on Shannon's shoulder and prayed for God to heal her. And when she did, the Lord baptized Charlene in the Holy Spirit. And she began to pray in the Holy Spirit. What did she need to release that? She needed to get outside of herself. She needed to focus on somebody else. Years ago, I heard the story of Paul and Jan Crouch. Jan Crouch told the story of in the thick of her depression, when she was so under that she would hear her children downstairs rattling pots and pans making food for themselves and could not rouse herself to leave the bed and go take care of her own children. One Sunday she got up and her husband took her to sit on the back row of the First Assembly of God in Santa Ana, California. She said, I went there literally in little more than a house coat and house shoes and sat on the back row. And she said, I watched as a young girl came and knelt at the altar. And to my horror, no one went and prayed with her. Pastors were praying with everyone else, but this young woman, no one was praying with her. She said, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, you go pray with her. And she said, I resisted and said, Lord, I'm the last person that needs to be praying for anybody. I need people to pray for me. I don't need to pray for anybody. Lord, what can I offer her? I'm on empty myself. Surely someone else will pray with her. And she said she waited and no one went. And the Holy Spirit bumped her again and said, Jan, get up and go pray with her. She said, finally, reluctantly, I shuffled down the center aisle of the Santa Ana First Assembly of God in my house shoes, embarrassed. But I went and I knelt by that girl and she said, I knelt and I laid my hands on her shoulder as she wept and cried. And I began to pray and I began to intercede for her. She said, and something began to break off that girl. She said, and then something began to break off of me. I want to tell you, sometimes our breakthrough is just around the corner of our re-engagement in the work of God. Sometimes the best thing we could do is to get up and go to a nursing home and visit somebody and be an encouragement to them. And you'll find that God pours back into you. (laughs) Sometimes the best thing we can do is get up and trust God and re-engage with what is around us to do. Lord, help us. Have you begun believing the enemy's lies that you're all alone? That if you're a real Christian, you wouldn't feel like you feel this morning? That's a lie. Follow the example of Elijah today. Remove yourself from the stress long enough to get a fresh perspective from God. Even if you can only retreat a short time each day, even if you can't take a week, take a day. Rest. Begin taking care of yourself physically. Watch your diet, exercise, get some sleep. Renew your inner man through prayer and God's word. If God sends you a mighty visitation of his spirit, rejoice in that. But even if he doesn't, just grab hold of a word from God. Grab hold of a promise of God. And let that promise sustain you. He will carry you through. Identify the lies you've been believing and replace them with the truth of God's word. Then what? Re-engage. Return to your station in life with the realization that you're called to work with God. 
determined to find you an Elisha, get you a friend to come serve alongside you who will help you. The pastor is so dark. Corey Ten Boom said, when the train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away your ticket and jump off. You sit still and trust the engineer. Some of you today need to sit still and trust that God's got you and he's got this and he knows where you are and he knows it's dark, but he's not going to abandon you now. He never has and he never will. Scrawled on the side of a German basement after World War II were these words. I believe in the sun even when it is not shining. I believe in love even when I cannot feel it. And I believe in God even when he is silent. Again, Corey Ten Boom said God's silence is not God's absence. The teacher is always quiet during the test. Hang in there. Jesus said, come unto me all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Every head bowed this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus. Lord, I know this is not a shouting sermon. I know that there are many in this room who the last thing they felt was shouting. And yet there are some faithful men and women in this room who love God with all their heart. And they are trying their best to live and be faithful for God. But they're so confused today because they feel so down. They've gone through a season of life where they just feel so done and empty that they don't know what to do. Father, I pray today that your word will speak to their heart. I pray that your spirit will address them through this message today and they'll hear and know that they're not alone, that you're with them, that others are going through this and have gone through it, and that, Lord, they can trust you in the middle of this, that you're going to be faithful to them. Father, today, I pray that you help them speak to their hearts today. Lord, if there's some lie they've begun to believe, replace it with your truth. Lord, today, maybe what they need more than anything is just a moment to come and have another Christian friend lay their hand on their shoulder and stand with them in prayer and say, Lord, will you remind them of your promise? Lord, will you speak a word into their heart? Will the still, small, gentle whisper of the heavenly dove, the Holy Spirit, deposit a fresh word in their ear? Lord, may that encouragement be enough to turn it around for them. Lord, some of us today need to go and address things. We need to go deal with some physical issues. We need, to, we need to go deal with that. We need to get some rest and take care of ourselves. And We need to go take action on some of these things. Lord, help us. Some of us today, Lord, something happened and we got down and depressed and we just, we just checked out. We withdrew. We stopped doing anything and everything for others. But Lord, today what we need more than anything is to get ourselves back out there in the game. And start giving and investing. And we'll find, Lord, that as long as we're trying to fill somebody else's vessel up, the oil will flow in our own lives. Lord, let that be true for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You remember the story of the widow's oil? Bring your vessels, not a few. And as long as she was pouring into somebody else, the oil flowed through her life. But when the last vessel got filled, when there was nobody else to pour into, the oil stopped flowing. I want to tell you sometimes the way to get the oil of the Holy Spirit flowing in your life is to go find somebody else and minister to them and pray for them. And the oil will flow in your life again. What do you need today? If you need to pray, if you need someone just to put their hand on your shoulder and encourage you, the altar's open today. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Let's sing. Lord, bless us. Draw us closer. Hear our hearts. Touch your people. Thank you for listening to our podcast at The Hill. We pray that you are blessed by this message. 
for more information on what's happening at the Hill and to stay connected, visit our website at foresthillcog.org, join our Facebook page, facebook.com slash foresthillcog, or download our app from the iTunes or Google Play Store.